might be the first thing I do all night. Am I on? Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> All right. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Susan Oates, and I'm embracing this new term that John is using. I am a seminarian. <laughs> um, however, let's back it up just a little bit and let me catch you up on my status. Um, Many of you are still learning that I have not actually started seminary quite yet. Uh, and this time of year, I'm sorry, this time last year, I was sharing my story about my discernment process and plans to attend residential seminary to become a priest. And I was all set to move to Austin, Texas last August to begin my formation at Seminary of the Southwest when just a couple of months before my moving date, my mama, Donna Lott, um, was diagnosed with metastatic cancer and given a very grim prognosis. So as I had one foot on the train to Austin already and was starting to have some forward motion in that direction, uh, this news quite literally threw me off the tracks. And eventually, I discerned with the encouragement and blessings of our bishop and the seminary that the best choice for me is to defer seminary and stay home for another year. So that's why you've been seeing me around here a lot. Um, but anyway, now that I am where I am on this path, I am grateful for the gift of a year and the chance to realign my time and recenter myself in so many ways, this year has given me new insights and new perspectives, and I've been able to deepen my relationship with God and important people in my life. And as things are playing out so far, Mama's treatments have been keeping her stable. And so we have been able to go and see and do things that we never dreamed we would be able to do this year. Um, so while I do spend a lot of time with Mama, I'm doing other things too. Steve Oaks and I are empty nesting, which is another gift. <laughs> yes. And I am also taking full advantage of this time to nurture some personal interest, which translates to me having a lot of fun in between things. And um, another big thing that I've been able to do this year is complete the Metagem Institute Spiritual Direction Formation Program. That was a lot of words. <laughs> um, but uh, I believe that spiritual direction is a part of my call. And so I consider being able to complete the Metagem Program as part of my formation. Um, spiritual direction, if you don't know what it is, is a kind of companioning with someone to help them cultivate their relationship with God in a very intentional way, and also to develop a desire to want for their life what God wants for their life. So in other words, spiritual direction helps people draw closer to the Father's heart, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, and I'll talk about spiritual direction more as we go along, but if you are interested in talking about it even further, uh, we can talk more about that and your particular interests separately. 
Um, and yes, I do still feel called to become a priest and I am planning to go to seminary this fall in Austin. And um, so that's me. Um, so let's take a look at the verse for tonight, which is John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This passage is all about intimacy. As uh, these materials reflect, I know a lot of you have the booklets that were given uh, in the first week, and I'm, I guess there are more available. But in the third week of this booklet, there is um, more information about this verse and more work to do. Um, but the evangelist John reveals to us in these materials, um, in this gospel, the intimate union Jesus shares with his father. It says the intimate relationship is not only a possibility, but also essential to our life and fruitfulness in the risen life of Christ for each of us. So this evening, we'll explore what fosters intimacy and what detracts from it, both in human relationships and with God. So let's begin with this idea of intimate union. We know that God created us to be in relationship with God and each other and to participate as collaborators in the ongoing creation. We are in expansive relationship through all of this relationship. Uh, so let's think about what makes it intimate. And we know what intimate relationships are, but let's just kind of all get on the same page. Intimate relationships are mutual, which means both sides are kind of working together, fully working together. Everybody's kind of bringing 100% to the, to the deal. So intimacy is both knowing and being known. It is both loving and being loved. And so um, if you think about those two things, uh, think about a time when you have felt really known by another person. And think about how you might describe that to someone. Um, and the same thing with being loved. Think about a time when you have really given your whole heart to someone and uh, that kind of unconditional love that, um, that you've given away. You think about um, a soul friend or a child or a parent or a spouse. Um, there are so many ways that we, we can show our love to others. But on the contrast of that, think about a time when you maybe feel like you weren't heard, you weren't understood. Or think about a time when someone kind of let you down, they didn't show up for you. Or think about a time when you sort of halfway loved somebody and you expected them to kind of, you know, there were, there were strings attached. Um, so that's kind of what we're talking about with intimacy. We're talking about everybody bringing it and giving 100% both ways. Um, we're also dependent on God and God is dependent on us. Um, I mean, we have been given dominion over all the earth, so there's a pretty fair amount of <laughs> responsibility and our co-creativity but there's also that interdependence, interconnectedness, and so that intimate relationship. And so <clears throat> the qualities of intimate relationship include all the things that we know, love, generosity, cooperation, 
honesty, trust, vulnerability, um, communication, and that kind of communication where you're listening to really hear, um, an acceptance, and I'm talking about acceptance that is beyond just tolerance, but where you're really trying to understand the other. Um, and all of these qualities lead us to a deep connection and sense of belonging and a, a special kind of closeness. And so that is the essence of intimacy. And I believe in order to have intimate relationships, the most important thing we can do is to begin with soul care. Soul is not the mind, not the self, not the body. Soul is our heart center, that deep place where the divine spark ignites us, uh, the eternal part of our being. And Richard Rohr defines soul as God and me and me and God. So again, there's that intimate interconnectedness. We have we have to take care of this divine part of who we are in order to cultivate intimate relationship with God and others. And we do this through soul care because that's where we encounter God and God's desire for our lives. So, and I wanna take a minute to just kind of clarify what I mean when I say others. Um, obviously, you know, there are people that are close to us, our friends and our family and our close network. But this also includes the extended community and the world around us, really all living things. <clears throat> so that's you know, the, the expanded version of, of others that we're in relationship with. And so when we talk about um, soul care, this is something that I learned about through my spiritual direction formation as part of Metagem. Um, there's a book we studied <laughs> that was written by Thomas More called care of the soul, um, which actually could be a whole entire class, but um, for the purposes of this short program, uh, the book is about how soul care connects us with that heart center and this deep connection so that in turn, uh, it ripples outward and it shapes our thoughts and words and actions and our relationships. And if we're doing soul care with intimacy, and integrity, then it involves all those qualities of intimacy. So this connection is our risen life in Christ and allowing us to be the face and the hands and feet of Christ in the world. As Jesus teaches us to do, soul care informs how we love our neighbors as ourselves. Even though on the surface level, loving ourselves sounds kind of selfish, it isn't. Through soul care, loving our neighbors as ourselves is actually seeing and knowing and loving God and others as we do within ourselves. So doing our own, our own soul care is the first step in building the world up all around us. For me, I've been focusing a good bit of my time this year on soul care, which is incorporated into my daily and weekly routine, which some people understand the phrase rule of life. Um, and my routine includes nurturing my prayer life, reading scripture and spiritual materials, um, connecting with nature and practicing yoga and 
prioritizing my time with important people in my life and making time for serving others, which is my plug for the Pew to 10K. Um, so, and also mindfulness is kind of a newer practice that I learned through MetaGym, and I'm really benefiting from mindfulness. Um, it's, it's a new way to really pay attention and be grounded and aware and present. Um, it helps me manage difficulties and express gratitude. Um, it helps me appreciate beauty in all things and see God in all things. Um, and so those are just some of my soul care practices, uh, just to kind of get us thinking. I'm sure you all have some too. Um, and these soul care practices give us what I call soul power, <laughs> in the best sense of the word power. Um, okay, so switching gears and remembering all the types of the others, um, isn't it true that relationships with God and others are not always easy? And in fact, they can be very challenging. For me, it's easy to let the busyness of my life um, get in the way of slowing me down and, and getting in the way of myself uh, living into my priorities for soul care. Um, I can very easily tell myself that I'm too busy to slow down and, and pray, or I'm too busy to do something for someone else, and I can fill up my schedule and, and let my schedule dictate my time. Um, sometimes it's resentments or judging, or it might be lack of understanding or even lack of interest, or maybe blaming. Of course, it's always easier for me to blame someone or something else rather than accepting my own role in a situation. So these are just kind of some of the things that detract me from intimacy. Um, and one of my biggest obstacles is the obstacle of fear, which I hate to admit, but um, that one really gets in my way a lot. Uh, so I'm working on that one. Um, and so by contrast, not tending to the barriers that get in our way of good soul care leads to weakness and dysfunction, both in individuals and communities. I think it's important for us to consider how soul care shapes our thoughts, words, and actions, and even our relationships for good or bad on all levels of relationships. Um, soon after Mama was diagnosed, I read a book called Final Gifts. And it's a book written by a couple of hospice care um, workers, and it is, um, the idea behind it is to kind of help you understand about what's coming with the dying process and know what to expect and also to try to see God along the way. And uh, since she was doing so well, I decided that was a book I was going to need later. But, um, but what I took away from that is a really important nugget, and that is that Dying peacefully for many people involves making amends of our wrong actions or reconciling broken relationships. And sometimes it means expressing gratitude for relationships or actions. And then um, another resource that I have been using called A Network for Grateful Living um, has also kind of fueled one of my practices, which is I'm trying to practice grateful living. Um, and the idea is to imagine that you're on your deathbed. What are you grateful for in this moment? What changes do you need to make now 
so that you will be at peace when death comes. I have to admit, I've kind of heard that, those types of questions before and not really paid attention to it, but it's a lot more poignant to me now under our current situation. And so um, I have been paying attention to that and I have been working on some of the changes I need to make to restore relationships and kind of make amends. And so the, the big takeaway for me from both of those little nuggets um, from these resources is that they illuminate the urgency in our soul to restore and maintain intimacy. And we can be doing this throughout life, and I think we need to. And Lent is the perfect time for us to be doing that because this is a time of prayer and self-examination and repentance and reconciliation as we prepare for Easter. And Wednesday nights um, have been set apart for this season for us to spend a little time together exploring our lives together, and in doing so, we are strengthening our relationships as a faith community, even building intimacy. Um, so, I have uh, uh, some worksheets on the table, and I was, uh, would like to invite us to take about 15 minutes um, and just discuss what fosters our relationships and what detracts from being intimate with God and others. And um, there should be one for each person on the tables, and if not, I've got some extras. I'll be glad to bring them to you. But um, I, um, you, you can start on the page, on the side of the paper that says Table Talks and Finger Labyrinth Activities. And um, I'll say the prayer to get us all started at the same time, but as a table, I invite you to just kind of discuss John 1.18 and the table talk questions there that are outlined. And then um, after you take a few minutes to do that, just spend another few minutes just on your own for personal reflection. And I've provided some questions there to help you get started if you need help with that, or maybe something has already bubbled up that you wanna ponder a little further. Um, and doing these table talks and the personal reflection is going to help you when we turn the page over to the Finger Labyrinth page, which is this page. And I don't know if you've ever done a labyrinth before, but um, it's an ancient practice that people used to actually walk a path of meditation and prayer. And... Um, it's uh, being reintroduced over the last, I don't know, 20 plus years, and it's really becoming a powerful tool for introspection. And so during Lent, I think this is a great time for us to think about um, doing the labyrinth. Um, there is, so you'll take your finger <laughs> and find the opening on the outside of the circle that it's at the bottom. And there's only one path in, and you just take your finger and follow the path all the way till you get to the center. It'll take you a few minutes. Um, and you can move at your own pace. It's not a race. Take your time. Um, and once, <clears throat> once you get to the center, you can pause there for a moment to just kind of reflect, read the verse again if you want to, and, and open yourself to receiving what God wants you to hear. And then as you're ready, just from the center again, you go in reverse and follow the path again and you'll exit 
by the time you get to the end, you'll exit the same place that you entered. And uh, there's some really detailed guidelines that you can follow if you want to, if you need a little assistance with that. But um, um, if you have any questions, you can wave at me and I'll come to your table and help you. Um, and other than that, did, do you have anything you want me to add? Okay, so other than that, let us pray. Jesus, just as you lived in intimate union and daily communion with your Father, so draw me to yourself in love that I may live in this same intimacy and communion with you so that all that I do and all that I say may flow from your divine life abiding in me. Amen.